This episode of the Devin Kershaw Show is brought to you by the Alberta World Cup cross-country event, which is taking place in the beautiful Canadian Rockies, March 20th to the 22nd. Not only can you see the best racers in the world battle it out to hoist those giant crystal globes and their beauties, let me tell you, not that I know, I don't have any, but I've seen them. But don't just sit on the stands and cheer on the athletes. There's so many amazing events that are going on around the town of Camor throughout the whole weekend of celebrations. Chandra Crawford's Fast and Female organization will be hosting its ever-popular Champ Chat for 100 girls on Saturday, March 21st. Another Olympic champion that just happens to live in paradise, Camor, Alberta, is Becky Scott, whose organization Spirit North will have so many amazing events. You can see powwow, dancing, drumming, and she'll be at the opening ceremonies. It's going to be a celebration not to be missed. Listen, Camor, Alberta is the absolute best town on planet Earth. Take it from me, one of the most biased people you will ever hear from. I love Camor. I live in Lillehammer. I miss Camor every day. If you like cross-country skiing and you want to see the best racers in the world, gun to tape, annihilate, hoist the globes, have fun, maybe have some free Gruyere cheese samples, all while taking in the amazing hospitality of Alberta and Camor itself, get your butts to the Alberta World Cup. You can find all the details at albertaworldcup.com. This is Jason Albert, and you are listening to the Devin Kershaw Show from Faster Skier. In this episode, we break down the skiathlons from Oberstdorf, Germany. Okay, here's the show. So it, it's in Oberstdorf, Germany. It's the site of next year's uh, FIS Nordic Ski World Championships, a, championship, a championship course. It sounds like they've made some modifications to the course. Today, for example, though, uh, it sounds like there is like a red and blue loop, like two distinct loops that they will race on. Like one, for example, on the skiathlon would be for classic, one for skate. Today, due to limited snow, they ran it on a single loop. Can you talk a little bit about how that might impact racing yeah i mean in normal courses it could impact racing quite substantially but as you saw today and the viewers at home that saw the race today while they said it was limited snow was it was it or was it saving money on a production <laughs> because it looked pretty yeah, white up there. it looked pretty white and it was nice and wide they did a great job oberstorf did a great job with the track conditions as far as the width of the track i mean Going up that though that grinding climb that we've become accustomed to, those that follow skiing and have watched Oberstdorf for many years, uh, nearing the end of the loop, I mean, you had a number of tracks, and then the skating side of things also was wide enough that people could pass, make moves. So, I, my honest opinion is, when they say because of a lack of snow, I read it as it costs a lot more money to produce an event with uh, two distinct loops, and it's easier to set up cameras on one loop. And for the world championships, budgets are just so much higher. And instead of just being one weekend, they have the entire and have the entire 10 days and there's so much more money coming in. So I thought that was a little bit of backhanded, like a little, you know, it's it's a nice excuse, but uh, I don't believe it. <laughs> no, I think you bring up a good point, actually. Yeah, you like essentially double your production cost. Uh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. And it's expensive, you know, and, and the way FIS, as people that listen to this podcast, maybe have listened to the Nordic Nation podcast, your other podcast on Faster Skier and your discussion with Vegard Alvang, he, he describes that, that those production costs really fall to the NSOs, the national ski organizations, and the, that'd be the German ski, ski federation. And 
you know, <laughs> I can see why the German Ski Federation wants to save some bucks on a World Cup weekend. They just had Dresden a couple weeks ago. That's cheap to produce and doing a pursuit on two different loops. Uh, yeah, you save good money, like you said. So I think that's what we were seeing there. Okay, so let's, um, I do want to talk about, let's, let's go with the guys race first. So it's a it's a 30K skiathlon, so 15K uh, classic, and then transitioning after 15K to to skate. So there were some notable do not, did not finishes today, and primarily some notable individuals from Norway. Emil Iverson, and Klebo did not finish. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, to drop out, for both those guys to drop out, let's be honest, Emma Leverson talked a lot before the season started. His big goal was to contend for the overall World Cup. But like we discussed in our daily podcast during the Tour de Ski, once he got sick uh, with a cold, head cold and dropped out, his overall World Cup chances were over. And today, he just looked bad, said he didn't have good energy his body wasn't working that well he was fairly confused he's still confused because last weekend in the classic race actually in in the czech republic he was going quite strong even though he was skiing way back in the wave because of that weird course and disqualification <laughs> but uh, he was moving well in the classic right, session right. today he said he just didn't have the body um he's he's dumbfounded he doesn't really know what's going on he's asking some questions in the interviews after like why did you drop out he's like could be something to do with the fact that he got over his head cold. He thought he got over his head cold well at the Tour de Ski and his body just hasn't evened out after that small sickness. And also he did allude to the fact that he felt that he was struggling with his classic skis, but also alluded to the point that, hey, we had four guys in the top five uh, at the end and they had great classic skis. So maybe it was something that he picked the wrong skis for the conditions. Claybo, on the other hand, didn't think necessarily it was his skis. He just said his body was not there today and he had no energy. And at the start, although everyone like myself and yourself probably included, you thought he looked good. I thought he looked good in the early laps, but he said that was a bit of a poker face and he was actually hurting in those early laps. And when that, that elastic broke, he said, that's really how my body felt today. I was, I was hurting. I was not in a good place. My body was really bad today. And at the end of the day, once you fall out of the top 20 and then you start becoming over a minute back in a mass start race like that, and then more losing more and more time, he has a classic sprint tomorrow. It's not just important for, for his overall ambitions and for, he's the best classic sprinter in the world. He's the best sprinter period. But not only for that to save some energy to try and salvage the weekend with a good sprint tomorrow, it's also important for him to to have a good sprint on a world championship course when when the world championships, like you said, come to town next year in Oberstdorf. So he wants to really dial in that sprint course and suffering through a, a 30 kilometer on a challenging course. Like, yeah, you said it's only on one loop, but that one loop is a lot harder than people have been racing in the past in in Oberstdorf. Uh, you have to go back to 2005 really to see to see a loop that hard uh, when the world championships are there. Um, so good decision by Claybo to drop out. Absolutely, he was pretty depressed in when they were interviewing while the races were going on because now he's 299 points back uh, Bolshinov in the overall World Cup, which is his big goal and Bolshinov's big goal. And that is that decision today cost him a lot of points. And he's like, oh, the overall's over. And while it's not over. Uh, his overall ambitions took a humongous blow, especially when Bolshinov pulls out the victory like he did today. 
Yeah, I mean, does that change a guy like Klebo, who's obviously very capable and competitive and has like realistic ambitions of the overall? Does he then look at the remaining? I mean, that's, you know, Bolshinov, and we'll get to Bolshinov, is, is skiing very well. Does he reassess the remainder of the season and think, okay, you know, maybe I cherry pick a little bit more than like think, okay, overall? Or do you think it's like really still plausible? I mean, again, Bolshinov could get sick, injured, or just fade. Totally. And that's, and that's just the reality. I, it looks... <laughs> The skies look dark over Klebo's overall ambitions today. Uh, but, you know, Bolshinov has a bit of an accident in the sprint tomorrow or gets knocked out in the quarterfinals and Klebo wins. And if he does that a number of times with these sprints that are coming up, I mean, Falun has a sprint already coming up in a few weeks. And then you have all those sprints in the, the closing section of period three on the World Cup. If Bolshinov struggles to find his sprinting form, and Claybo just continues dominating like he's dominated the last few years, it is most certainly plausible to win. But at the same time, when he's describing a tough body and a body that's not really working the way he wants it to, and that sort of thing, if he if he comes if he had come out of this tour with a bit of yo-yo, a bit of like last weekend was really good in the classic uh, part of the pursuit in the Czech Republic. The skating was okay, uh, but he was sick. Recall he missed Dresden. He missed a hundred very important points there uh, on Bolshinov for this overall competition. So he will need a little bit of luck in the sense that if Bolshinov is sprinting like he was sprinting before Christmas, Klebo has a chance. If Bolshinov is sprinting like he sprinted in the second sprint of the Tour de Ski, it's going to be tough for for Klebo. But really, I liked Emma Leverson's quote with the Norwegian media about this question. And he said, he really only has two choices. <laughs> throw in the towel and travel to to like the canary islands or like you call it sudan which is just greece the canary islands croatia whatever or or just keep trying and keep racing and claybo's a fighter he's the best sprinter in the world and he has made some good steps with his distance skiing let's hope or the fans of claybo should hope that this was just an outlier a bad day maybe struggled a little bit with his classic skis i'm not sure it uh, it definitely looked like challenging classic conditions today in oberstorf so it could be a combination of those things, but I'm really looking forward to seeing how Klebo solves this puzzle tomorrow because a classic sprint is Klebo's best event, no question. He has been so dominant in the classic sprint. So if he can get back on track and, and Bolshinov gets knocked out early, he, he can tighten up this race. But like you said, I mean, almost 300 points, Jason. Like he's, th this is not good. This is not good. Bolshinov the last two weeks has has been a cut above the rest. And that's that's dangerous if you're a guy like Claybo that wants to compete with him for the overall. Okay, so there are a couple, let's like kind of focus on the sharp end of the race here. And uh, there are a couple of things I'm going to throw out there that, that are interesting to me. So we have a couple of dudes that are defying father time here. We've got Dario Colonia who finished in seventh. Uh, we have Martin Johns, you know, Martin Sunby here who, who, who came in uh, fourth today. And uh, only two and a half seconds back. It's not like he was blown out of the water. Um, so perhaps, you know, he, he's kind of done some wonders with, with recuperating his back injury. And we have Kruger, who, you know, is known as a uh, skate specialist, but recently has been coming on in Classic, came in second. And we'll throw, you know, Bolshin off one, and we'll get to that at some point. So kind of some interesting things on the, on the sharp end of the race in, in terms of the overall, um, another thing of note, and let's jump in here because it's more of the race process here. You know, we have Niskanen 
you know, who is just known as this 15 K classic killer, uh, you know, Niskanen, Niskanen out front for much of the of the classic portion of the race. You know, at eleven three, I'm just looking at live timing here. Splits eleven point three k. Niskanen comes in. Uh, he's in fourth, but he by fifteen k at the transition, he's twenty eight seconds back. He has a big fade. And if we're going to flash back to the Olympics and the skiathlon, he didn't really fade until the skate leg. I mean, he was like front and proud during that fifteen k classic portion. Um, yeah, so if a little bit of your thoughts on Niskanen, how he actually came back in the skate leg today. No, for sure. And you know why that happened, Jason? It was 100% equipment. His skis and the Finnish wax techs for the men's side of thing in Classic, they're going to be shaking their heads. They are, they're not happy. They bombed the skis. I mean, Niskanen's skis, the last two laps of that Classic race, they were viciously bad. They were icing on that long climb we were alluding to, that coming kind of close to the transition or close to the lap. There's a quite a big climb in the last let's say 1k of that course and Niskanen is like just on the struggle bus with his skis they're not working they it looks horrendous and the Norwegians had amazing skis as they've had the last two years in a row or more even and then the Russians too the Russian wax team like we've talked about a little bit here it used to be a mess and now they have had some amazing inconsistent equipment as well and you saw that today Bolshinov did not struggle at all you had Bismarck skiing beautifully in classic so Niskanen lost a lot of time in the closing parts of that course but if if you go back and see I wish you could just zoom in on Niskanen on that last lap of classic as he his skis were just like he almost, I almost felt like I was watching like a, a, a junior race with like 14, 15 year olds where the dad bought his first like <laughs> kick waxes, but it's clister and, and you're watching your son and your daughter and they're just like, they can't ski at all. And you're <laughs> like, oh my God, I've got a lot to learn. Uh, that's kind of what it looked like to me with Niskin and compared to, to, to the Russians and the Norwegians. So that was too bad. But like you said, some guys that, that were impressive, Sunday. Uh, you know, back injury has really been, was plaguing him earlier in the season. His last race was Davos, which is a month ago where he dropped out and he had one good race this year prior to today. And it was also a skiathlon in Lillehammer. We were his fifth. And while he like stood over, did not compete last week in, in the Czech Republic, uh, I, I was, I've been out skiing a little bit and I've seen him many days with a 10 kilo weight vest skiing around I had to laugh I'm like well your back is obviously not that bad if you're rocking a weight vest way out in the woods of Lillehammer Shushin and I bust you there a couple times a couple <laughs> different days and I only ski for like an hour and a half a day once in a while so I thought that was pretty funny so I had to think like it made me think that when he was saying oh my back is just not quite ready for for the Czech Republic uh the translation sh- that I saw out there in the woods of surrounding Lillehammer is I'm training myself back up to a good level and trying to get some confidence back with the way I know how, which is a good training block. And you saw that today. He was skiing really well, both in classic and skate. Yeah, he got lit up a little bit in the la- the closing couple hundred meters, but that's to be expected. And, and Bolshinov, so strong. But like you said, two guys in the Norwegian team that have been really impressive for sure essentially this whole year they had a couple each of them have had one or two off days but Shuidotha and and uh Seaman Kruger I mean they are consistently at the top now and while they're struggling to knock off the the Russian mm-hmm. bear who's leading the charge week in week out they are knocking on the door and, and like you said Kruger's skiing really well in classic these days and Shuid he's a he's been skiing well in classic and in skate now 
and second and third again this weekend here. So they're going to take a lot of confidence towards this uh, ski tour 2020 or Scandinavian tour or however they're labeling it, which is coming up uh, pretty soon. And that's important for those Scandinavians. Yeah. One thing of note, you know, it's a 30 K scathlon and used to golf uh, who, who came in second in the tour to ski um, and very well, you know, in another parallel universe won that. I mean, he, he was skiing very strong uh, and faded on that final climb pretty hard. Um, but he's way back, you know, quotes way back. He's in 25th today. and Oh, no, that's way, yeah, back. That's way back. He bombed. Okay, and a minute 48 back. Um, yeah, I always, like, those things to me are a little, you know, if I'm thinking of cycling and I see a guy who's like way up there and all of a sudden, you know, a week later, two weeks later, they're way back. Uh, I think bad things, right? I'm like, oh. Yeah, yeah it's, of course. And you, you wouldn't be alone. But again, there's always a story back to story. I mean, with the Russians, sometimes it's hard to explain away <laughs> what, right. you're alluding, what you're alluding to. But what I will say with Ustigov is he he actually just had his first kid a few weeks ago. You know how that is. Um so I, you have no idea. Maybe he's been traveled back to Russia to be with his uh, his partner as they gave birth to their, their first child. You don't know how the training conditions are, what he's been doing. Also, sleep's been affected. You're stoked. You're exhausted after the tour de ski. So he came off the tour de ski. Apparently, he got a little sick as well. And then all of a sudden, there's a childbirth in there. He's obviously really rusty. And it, it's just so hard to know how you're going to react from that. I mean... Those that follow biathlon probably took note of the fact that uh, Johannes Tingnesbo in biathlon ended up winning his first he race did. after having a kid, and with but he also shot clean, but he was skiing fast too. So, so but uh, I think that can explain some of it. And like I said, it was a really strange day on the classic side of things. It looked it was tough. It was tough classic skiing conditions. Uh, you some people had skis that looked absolutely phenomenally phenomenal phenomenal yeah. sorry but others looked like they were struggling with their skis ustigov never looked that comfortable but but like we've talked about in classic a lot he never really looks that elegant in diagonal stride so was that just a matter of having a rusty body again from a little bit of sickness and and being you know those russians aren't used to family time let's be honest they're on the road like i don't know 300 days a year so traveling all the way back to russia and god knows what his training conditions were like there but i agree 25th is a long way back for a guy who's been so strong but i would expect once he gets back into the flow of things that uh, ustigov will find his form i think this was a little bit of an outlier today personally okay and lastly for the guys unless we're gonna jump onto another topic here uh, on the guy's side but i just want to Celebrate a little bit, David Norris, he, for the U.S., who has been just right. You know, he's he's been there solidly for the U.S. in in terms of distance skiing, and U.S. is getting a little thin on the men's side. It sounds like Eric Bjornsson is going to take some time away from the World Cup and ski some long distance events here in the U.S. It sounds like, uh, and I haven't spoken to Eric about this, but Matt Wickham mentioned he'll be skiing the Boulder Mountain Tour, and I think the American Birkebiner. And so, and and David, you know, has, in my eyes, stepped up. I mean, we all know how hard it is to get into the points on the guy's side. And he's there today in 28th. He had a spill, it sounds like, in his last lap and, you know, quite possibly could have been further up 
you know, maybe possibly 20th. But I am, you know, he he is not a USK team member. You know, he has to figure out all these moving parts, you know, funding. But, you know, there's that that tension there. You're embraced as part of the group, but at the end of the day, you want to be officially designated as US ski team member. And he's in the points. I'm just kind of thoughts on his situation. Yeah, no, I mean, <laughs> when I think of David Norris this season, I, I, I'm going to kind of echo your, your thoughts in the sense that uh, he's grinding. Like he's just a blue collar. If he was a hockey player, he's on the third or fourth line. You know, he's just he, he he's he's a grinder, and sneaking yeah. into the points in the high twenties often. But like you said, in these distant rate distance races, being twenty eighth, twenty ninth, maybe it doesn't sound that sexy when you're comparing some of the amazing results, especially on the women's side with the U.S. for the last many many years. But it is impressive that he's found some consistency on the World Cup. Like you said as well, the moving parts no matter what country you're in. And this is this is important for people that listen. Like The people that are on, quote-unquote, the A-teams of most national ski teams are fairly well-supported in the sense that they're not stressed out about paying the rent or getting enough food to train. But once you're off that A-group, it, it, it can be a struggle. And, I mean, he lives in Alaska. That's not easy to figure out his logistics. He's got a great coach and a great program behind him. And we should all tip our hat uh, to Eric Flora, who's done just a phenomenal job with APU. I mean, if you look at the if you look at the results for both for the men and the women in the US going back since he started there, I mean that's that's a long time ago now. I mean, he's found a lot of good consistency and he's brought a lot of athletes up. But again, as good as your mm-hmm. coach is and as good as your program is, when the gun goes off, the coach has nothing to do with it and the athlete has to make it happen. And David's done a good job and it's fun to see him sneak into the points. I'd like to see Scott Patterson find some form again. He's kind of dropped off the radar after his amazing Olympics in 2018. That's disappointing mm-hmm. to see. And Eric Bjornsson, like, you know how much respect I have, Eric. I think I think the world of him, he's he's one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. He's hardworking. He yeah. skis beautifully, too. Technically, uh, really solid and just like a really, really good guy to go for a ski with, to have dinner with, to hang out. He's, he's awesome. But I, I'm a little worried when I start hearing the fact that a guy like Eric is taking a step back from the World Cup and doing races like nothing against the Boulder Mountain Tour. But I mean, give me a break. You have a... You have a tour in Scandinavia. The World Cup is the show. And the American Berkey is great for those that that focus on those long-distance events. And it's a great community event. And it is important in the U.S. and in North America as far as the loppets or the long-distance skiing goes. But Eric's a young man. He's he's not not even 30. And he's 28 years old, exactly. And I'd like to see him. He's been knocking on the door. He's had some top 10s in the World Cup. I don't want him to give up hope because when you ski that beautifully and you train that well and you have that kind of attitude that Eric has, it's possible. It is possible and he's shown that he's been able to ski into the top 10 and not just once. He's skied in the top 10 a few times. He has it in him. He just needs to find the key to fit that lock to open the door and have instead of one top 10 every three, four years something like three, four top tens a season. And he has it in him and not everybody, I'm sorry to say, sport's not fair. And he is definitely one to watch in the US, especially on the distance side. And and it's tough. I mean, I but I feel for him too, because he's 
as as much as David is grinding it out, uh, sneaking in points here and there, Bjornsson is in it for for those great results, and he knows how good he can be. And it's a lonely place if you're traveling around week in week out, and you feel like you're not racing up to your potential, and then. You don't have that success breeds success situation that the American women have had for a number of years. So leadership is lonely. And if Eric wants to get it done on the World Cup, he's going to have to do it pretty much alone uh, with some supporting members. But there is some supporting members, like you said, that are coming online. Guys like David and Scott Patterson has shown in the past that he can ski up into that top that top tier, that top 20 uh flirting with the top 15 once in a while i mean so that is uh these are solid training partners it's funny they're all skiing together in the same club scott david and eric so you'd think that that could motivate uh, eric to to keep at it for the world cup but i you know i i totally respect that you need to to step away and and refocus mentally and do something that's a little more fun and and uh, that sort of thing. But Eric, don't give up hope, buddy. You're an amazing skier and I believe in you. You can do it. You can get back into the top 10 and not just once every three, four years. Like you should be there and uh, don't give up, dude. The US needs you and, and I know uh, I know you could do it. I think you could even be better. I think there's podiums in, on the World Cup for, for Eric Bjornsson if he could just solve the, the riddles that he's working with. Okay, so on the on the women's side today, they skied a 15K skiathlon, 7.5K in classic, and transitioning to 7.5K in skate. Someone who obviously very much believes in themselves, yet only had a 15-second margin of victory today, is Yohog. Uh, I mean, yeah, let's just start there because it's like ad nauseum, right? Yohog, distance race. No, it is ad nauseum, but I thought that she showed a lot of poise. I mean, she yeah. only had 11 seconds after the classic portion, and that's that's not normal for someone like Teresa, especially on a course like that too. I mean, this is no gimme course out there today. It, this this course was tough, and uh, the fact that she got some distance on her rivals in classic, but it was only 11 seconds, that takes a lot of mental fortitude to switch into your skate skis and keep on crushing, and she did. She stretched that gap, and in the closing kilometers... It was amazing to see Ingveld and Ebba Anderson, mm-hmm. really. They were really the only two people driving the bus hard. But uh, they closed on her. They closed on Teresa again because she stretched it out again. And then yep. in the closing kilometers, like I said, I know I just repeated myself. But um, they they came back to her, made it within 15 seconds. I thought it was a really exciting sprint finish uh, with Ingveld. Teresa Stadlober, that's cool to see, to right. see her on the podium. Uh, she's had some great races in the past. I mean, oh, the heartbreak of that 30 K in the 2018, I don't think she'll ever forget that when she went the wrong way. That was just yeah. Do you want to talk weird. about that for the sec? I mean, she was a, a podium at the Olympics. Well, that was just so weird. That was a sure podium. Yeah. That was a sure podium in the Olympics. And she was in the hurt locker so deep that she, <laughs> she made a, if we want to talk about junior, junior races, like I was alluding to with the waxing, with the, the dad waxing or the mom waxing the skis to their kid. I mean, Teresa Stadlover making a mistake like that at the Olympic games, that, that is a junior mistake big time. And that cost her a medal. So it was nice to see her sneak out and get that medal. Um, today, Austria's obviously Mm -hmm. got a horrendous reputation and for good reason there's been a lot of doping uh it's horrendous Teresa Stadlover has been very outspoken about it and that's right so in this world we live in I want to believe that someone that is so outspoken and 
and has has been very outspoken for a long time. You got to hope that she's clean and she had a great race today. I thought her sprint finish actually was <laughs> kind of cool. Like coming when I saw that last hill, I'm like, Jason, there's no way. I mean, Stad Lober's fourth. And that's a good race because that'll be the best race of the season for her. But she she nips Ebba Anderson in the sprint and then almost comes back to Ingveld too, which was pretty impressive. But for sure, Teresa is the is a class above. But you saw, here you go in the mass starts. She is by no means far and away. Like, it's no given that she's just going to blow everyone right. away in a mass start and win by yep. a minute because that's not happening anymore. We saw that. You saw that in the Tour de yeah, Ski. Yeah, right. You that's saw right. that here. Of course, last week in the Ch- Czech Republic, of course, she individual start, she can get that time. And in the pursuit, then it wasn't, a, I mean, she, of course, she's going to just crush everyone. But in the mass starts, Teresa definitely has some things to go with uh, if she wants to win win big, like she's winning in the individual starts. So I, I thought it was exciting. You know, I think the women's racing has been exciting this whole year. And there's a lot of nations fighting at the top there. I thought it was so it was it was cool to see you saw heading heading in top 10 which is great for the uh the german squad kala in 12th of cat let's oh i feel so bad for kala i mean kala is 138 back again uh, yeah what a tough 12th. season for kala this year oh it's been awful but did, i mean you know you know this better than anyone else right i mean it's like you your body changes and as you age, it changes faster than it may have when you were going from say 22 to 24. And there's all these hungry young Swedish women who have been killing it. Uh, I mean, is this part of the natural progression of sport here that we're just witnessing a champion that's kind of, you know, subtly fading? It's hard to say, you know what I mean? I mean, for sure it's irking Charlotte that uh, Moa Lundgren beats her when she's 12 years her junior. Uh, in a race like today, when it's a 15k pursuit, I mean, you expect Kala to be to be incredibly strong there. But at the same time, you know what? Like I was talking a little bit about with teams, how success breeds success. It's a little bit the same in the individual side of things in sport too. I think when you're on a roll, things don't bother you. You know, like all oh, the travels delayed half an hour. Like who cares? You're winning every weekend. You know it doesn't matter. Right. All the hotel sure. bed sucks and the pillows lumpy and none of this matters when you're on a roll because you just you're not using energy on that you're like whatever i mean that's how it is but then likewise when you're in a bit of a funk or you're you're struggling to find that form and you've had so much success in the past and this is where i can relate to charlotte the big time although i've had no success (laughs) compared to charlotte not even close but what i have had is i've had many seasons where I was right up there competing for for the podium or having multiple podiums a season on the World Cup and then having seasons where I'd be top 10 once or twice and people around me after I've been 10th in one race like wow great race and I'm like great race I've been like 25th a bunch I've been 58th and now I'm 10th like I don't that's not good and but what I find tough is mentally to just let go and just try not to focus on all these stupid little things that don't really matter and when you're not performing to your best you start lifting up every stone but you know what it takes energy to lift up those stones to look under them and not all those stones are going to give you the answer you're looking for it's just a you're just throwing energy in the garbage as you search for something that might not even be there and i think kala is probably in a little bit of a place like this because from what I've heard and what people I've talked with, she had a good training season. She came into the fall really happy with her fitness. Her races in Galavari were solid. 
and then things just went sideways and I, she's probably just asking a lot far too many questions and I just hope that she can usa let it go really zen out do some yoga I don't know but but just just really I'm joking around a little bit but I think you know what I mean yeah but we have yeah I, I you have to you have to find a way to find some calm and and not just let that hamster sprint on that wheel like maybe it's this maybe it's this maybe it's well maybe it's my equipment maybe it's my nutrition maybe i'm allergic to something maybe i'm sick maybe i'm like you that's just using up way too much energy and on the world cup circuit these are the best skiers in the world and some of the fittest athletes on planet earth and if you're using that kind of energy trying to search for an answer you're not going to have the energy uh in your back pocket to compete with the likes of Eb Anderson or Ingveld or or Teresa. So I I hope Kala can find their find the swing of things again. But this has been a really, really challenging season and she's even said in the media that she's not even sure she's gonna continue next year. Maybe this is her last year, but she doesn't want to make an announcement like that yet. And if that's the case, I would really like Charlotte to have one last banner yeah. race. You know, everybody deserves that Alex Harvey storybook ending. You know, Alex had an awful season last year too, but then <laughs> he gets to Quebec. Great ending. And that's a storybook ending I wish all great champions to have. And Charlotte Takala is that. She is definitely one of the best female skiers of all time. And she she's struggling. Yeah, it's one of my favorite photos from skiing is Alex. I think it's after that last race where he's like, it's a shot from behind the stage or something where you just see his back and he's sort of like some Jesus figure, you know, oh, arms he is the out. You know, right? I call him the Prince of Quebec, but he's so much more than the Prince of Quebec. I mean, in the city of Quebec, Alex Harvey might as well be a prophet. I mean, uh, it's really cool that he got to end his career at home with races like that. Like you said, like it is a Jesus moment. And it, it is a little bit like Jesus, like rising from the dead, you know? like, <laughs> like Yeah, that's true. I mean, that's right. Maybe I should use a, like maybe a metaphor like it was like a a Jim Morrison moment. Yeah. Like it looks like he's a rock star. Oh, totally. Like there's oh, like a oh, thousand yeah. oh, fans. Yeah. Out a thousand there. fans. Like it was more than that. So that's, uh, I hope, I hope we can see the same for Charlotte, uh, before yeah, she, before she, she's, a, nice oh, she's a great, she's a great athlete and, and, um, and not just great athlete. She's a great person. So be nice to see her close off. Well, let's, we got it. We got to discuss it. I'm sorry. I don't want to, I'm coming. Like, I'm ask I'm, me. Let's, I'm let's go there. Yeah. Trust let's me. go there next. Okay, tough day for the U.S. women because, as I told Matt, I was like, look, you have the greatest problem of, of all time when it comes to sport. Expectations at this point, right? I mean, we expect to see the U.S. women contending for podiums every weekend. Um, and that's something we may not have said 10 years ago. Uh, so here we have uh, Rosie Brennan, who, you know, uh, a solid day, 17th place, 146 back as the top American and Jesse at 155 back in 22nd. And, you know, I spoke a little bit debrief with Matt Wickham, who's the kind of world cup coach. Not, he is not kind of, he is the world cup coach for the and a phenomenal team, coach. Think, is, <laughs> and a good coach. Um, and, and he did mention, he's like, yeah, uh, a couple things that I, I'll kind of throw some info out there. So, you know, mentioning that, you know, Jesse truly just wasn't feeling on today. Um, was not feeling herself. And on top of that, he did say, I mean, it's not as if he said, you know, our skis were bad. He's like, we definitely waxed for kick and, you know, alluded to a little of the nature of the course and how, you know, there are portions of the course where speed is imperative, but it's definitely a course where kick is also like mandatory. Oh, absolutely. Um, 
yeah. So what are your thoughts on, on a day like this for the U.S.? Yeah, I know. Like you said, expectations. Uh, we're living in we're living in the golden age of American skiing, especially for the women's side of things. So, of course, when you have athletes like Rosie or or Sadie or Sophie or Jesse or any number of the women now lining up for the World Cup, of course, podiums every weekend. That maybe that's a bit of American swagger that <laughs> that you'd expect that every weekend, but for sure, top ten. I mean, I mean, it they, was. They I think for the class. first period. In the first period, I think it was podiums every weekend. It was podiums every weekend. I know. No, I know it was. And that's and you do get used to it. And they are that good. Uh, Rosie today, like you said, 17th. I know she might not be absolutely over in the moon thrilled with that. And you said 146 back. That sounds from the outset like, oof, that's way too much. Uh, but really, when you dig right into it, she's 10 seconds from 11th. Uh, so she was right there. You know, it, 11th place for Rosie starts to become like a very solid race. Yeah, like not true. career, not career best, but closing in on mm-hmm. um, Jesse. On the other hand, back in 22nd, you could see you could see it when she switched over. Well, they didn't show her very much on it in the race at all on, on TV, purely because she was blown off. Like she wasn't with the leading group in classic. But when you start digging into the splits and you're watching the race and then following the splits at the same time, you see someone like Sophie Krell, uh, the young German who finished 18th on the day, just behind Rosie. Uh, they're, they're skiing together in the classic portion and who in their right mind expects, well, Sophie Krell is actually behind Jesse in the classic portion, but who would expect that Jesse doesn't make like not make up who would have expected that Jesse's going to lose time in the skate to someone like Sophie Krell from Germany. I mean, when you, we expect Jesse, like sometimes in classic, especially if the waxing's a little tricky and, and it's, oof, it's just a bit tough. Like once in a while, like she, she can, she can struggle a little bit with her technique here and there, but she's such a fighter. Right. And in classic, if you're fighting like that, you're using so much energy and then, yeah, okay. You're a little tired for the skate, but I mean, I wasn't expecting her to to be outskated by by the likes of someone like Sophie Krell, for example. Nothing against Sophie, uh, the young German. She had a great race. But obviously, Jesse had a tough day. And you know what? That's allow- You're allowed to have tough days. And, and after the Tour de Ski, people come out of the Tour de Ski so many different ways. You see Bolshinov, he's come out of the Tour de Ski all guns a-blazing. Like, just like mine, 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 every weekend, like winning, 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 winning. He, he's on an absolute roll. In 2012, I came out of the Tour de Ski absolutely in the form of my life. And every weekend, it seemed I was on the podium or at least top five or six and taking bonus seconds all over the place, never getting tired and, and just on a super huge roll. Alex has talked a lot about that in the past as well. Dario has done that so many seasons and so has Sunby. That happens. But what we never really talk about are those people that have a very solid tour to ski, but then come out of the tour to ski and then go into that valley and get really tired. And it's tough. Like you don't know when it's going to turn again. You want it to turn, you know, it's in there, but you're just struggling to find it. And I don't think Jesse's in that sort of scenario right now, but I think she is in a little bit of a hole after the tour to ski. And that's obvious. I mean, after a race like today, it's tough, but she had a great race last weekend. Uh, in the Czech Republic. So I wouldn't be worried for the American ski fans that want to see Jesse back up there fighting at the top. This is a bad day. And Jesus, you got to allow athletes to have bad days once in a while. And if her bad day is 22nd, 
like you said, rewind 20 years, and we would have been popping champagne. There would have been cakes being baked all over Minnesota with Jesse's face on it and congratulations with the top 30. So, so expectations do have to be taken into account. They had a tougher day, the American women, but by no means are they done. And then Sadie, tomorrow we'll see what how that goes. Or maybe she's skipping the entire weekend. Did you ask Matt about she'll Sadie? She'll be... Yeah, she'll be racing uh, tomorrow's classic sprint. Yeah, I thought so. I mean, I've been following that she's been in Oberstdorf the whole time, and that classic sprint course does suit Sadie well. And, and she's an athlete. I don't know if you talked with her, but she's been quoted as saying, it's like, oof, after the Tour de Ski, like I've been struggling with my energy and I'm tired. So really smart smart move by her to, to just after last weekend, which was really tough for Sadie. Sadie kind of had the Jesse race of today last weekend in the check. So cool that they're learning and they've got a really great team over there, you know, with uh, the coaching staff on the U.S. ski team is, yeah, they're some of the best coaches in the world. And honestly, I don't think many other coaches in the world would want the jobs that the American coaches have because they spent so much time overseas. Like Matt Wickholm and and Jason Cork, like <laughs> they just, they're you want to talk about grinders. Yeah, I mean, totally. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think everybody in the U.S. to just do a huge round of applause for those road warriors because, listen, it's one thing to do that one year or two years or even three years or like kind of, okay, I'm going to do it for a quadrennial. I'm just going to really give myself over completely to the grind and the road life. But they have done it for a long, long time. So they have they have control over what's going on and the athletes themselves are just nothing but glowing reviews for for that entire american women's team so they'll be back it's just tough to have it it's it's hard to have a tough day once in a while but like i said it's allowed okay in closing here the bibs looked normal they looked like regular old sort of <laughs> tight fitting sport yeah. fitting what would they call it athletic fit yeah athletic fit yeah well we're back in germany now so if there's one thing germany does well it's the details so <laughs> <laughs> yeah no diet uh das ist gut so it's uh things are back to normal. The feed zones look good. The the course, like I said, was prepared well. Oberstorf's <laughs> a challenging place to race once in a while. The weather can be just vicious. Sure. And they got quite lucky here. This whole week it's been sunny and then little overcast today. And yeah, the waxing looked a little tricky, but I mean, just go back to some of the uh, I've I've raced in Oberstorf so many times and more often than not is just a nightmare with like pouring rain like biblical rain and wind and just garbage so it it's a great week to be in Oberstdorf Germany and when the sun shines or when you can see the mountains in the area around it it is it's a beautiful area so I'm really excited for the world championships next year I, I think uh I think it'll be a good good party and and the the courses now they're using some of those old school older school courses or terrain from the 2005 world championships which I was there racing and uh, so that's really fun to see them modify the course because the last few years, that two and a half K in Oberstdorf that they've been using is just a joke, like an absolute joke, way too easy and just stupid. So it's cool that they, they're getting back to the roots and making the courses a little harder and uh, using the train that they have available to them. And then the sprint tomorrow, really stoked. There's going to be a lot to unpack there because I think the U.S. just decided like, okay, everyone, we're taking everyone, all the men. All the male sprinters in the U.S. <laughs> <laughs> you're coming over. You're coming. You're coming. So I'm looking forward to sitting down and uh, chatting about that tomorrow. It'll be exciting to see how the entire sprint, yeah, how they the roll. entire sprint team <laughs> goes. In. Yeah. Okay. Thanks for yeah, your time. It'll be and fun. yeah, thanks. One more quick shout out though before we go. Sorry. Yeah. 
Catherine Stewart Jones. Oh yeah, dude. That's right. That's right, dude. Thirty first. Sorry, we're not leaving. We're not. We're not closing this off till we talk about Catherine Stewart Jones. Thirty yep. first. So close to her first World Cup points, and coming off first and second in the Opa last year. Last year, God, last week feels last like week. last year when you have kids. Yep. You know what that's about. I know. But um, last weekend in Pregelato, Italy, she is first and second in the Opa Cup, and she came to this race. She's got to be proud, and I think the Canadian team, once they get those first points for the women in distance, that's uh, has been a long time coming. I hope they take the time to celebrate. She's knocking on the door, so. Everybody that listens to this podcast, let's cheer for Catherine Stewart-Jones and the entire Canadian women's team that are trying to, to rebuild a, a yeah. program. Yeah, thanks for, for catching that. I had noted that in my draft that I'm writing up. And uh, yeah, so good on her for, for doing that. Great. Thanks, Jason. Thanks for listening. And as always, if you have any questions, please send them to info at fasterskeeter.com or to devin at fasterskeeter.com. One more thing, folks, if you're interested in learning about Red S, otherwise known as Relative Energy Deficiency in Sport and the Climate and High Performance Skiing, check out the latest Nordic Nation where Faster Skiers Rachel Perkins hosts a great forum on the topic.